Okay, the blue buckets look like they've finished their rounds. If you have a Bible with you, would you like to be turning to the book of Psalms, roughly in the middle, and in particular to Psalm 130, uh, which as Tom mentioned earlier, we'll look at uh, this morning. So Psalm 130 says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So for a little while now, we've been uh, looking through a little collection of the Psalms called the Songs of Ascents, and today we've arrived here at Psalm 130. There aren't actually that many more uh, to go. In any case, this is where we are uh, today, and all the way through our time looking at those particular Psalms, I suppose we've been concerned mainly with applying it to ourselves in terms of learning how to walk with God. Uh, The people singing these songs uh, had decided uh, to to go on a journey, to go on a pilgrimage, to travel up to uh, Jerusalem for one of the major festivals of the the year. And uh, and so we see people together, walking together, singing songs on routes, and I suppose they're walking for God, they're wanting to go in his direction, they're wanting to do as he's said, and they're trusting him every, every step, and uh, in every different season of life. Psalm 130 shows that uh, singing is not just for those who are feeling jolly and light-hearted at the moment, and our, our reason for singing is, is not always just because we have a jolly feeling. Um, this song begins with a cry out of the depths. This is a song for believers uh, who have hit rock bottom. Um, A people of faith are not immune from pain and suffering. Uh, Bless and reminded us of that last week when we uh, were looking at Psalm 129. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. Uh, They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they've not gained the victory over me. Israel as a nation knew something about suffering and pain and walking with God through trial. They knew a lot as well about deliverance and God suddenly breaking in and they're rescued from uh, slavery in Egypt. But uh, they weren't rescued, as it were, entirely from any experience of suffering in this life. The same is, is true for us. When we've turned to faith In Christ, when we've repented of our sin, we've received an amazing deliverance, and yet we know in life, until we get to glory, uh, we'll have different experiences of of pain and sadness. And this psalm is is here to help us walk with God when we are in a place of pain. It is to help us walk with God when life sucks. 
Um, and in so doing, it also helps us and equips us to better support one another when that's the case for uh, for others. It, you know, all the people would have been singing out of the depths. I cry to you, O Lord. Maybe some of them were really, really feeling that, and maybe others weren't at that particular season. But there was something in that song and these other songs which was equipping the people to love God and walk with Him and to love one another and to walk with one another. Um, I don't know if you're... uh, Obviously, the Olympics have just started. And who can remember where the Olympics were hosted all the way back in 1992? Barcelona. Marvellous. I didn't think it was that hard that only one person should know the answer, but one person had the confidence to bellow it out. Barcelona, that's right. And if you remember the Barcelona Olympics, you might remember some of the the stars of the great British team, like Linford Christie and uh, Sally Gunnell. Uh, Maybe Chris Boardman was on a bike around that sort of time. Um, Who remembers Derek Redmond? Yes, okay. He's worth a YouTube search, is our Derek In the early 90s, he was one of the best 400-meter sprinters. So he won a gold medal in the World Championship in 1991 in the relay. And he arrived at Barcelona with high hopes. People had high hopes. He was in good form. And uh, he qualified with the fastest time from one of the earlier heats. He's in lane five for a semi. And so he's running to get into the final. Things are looking, uh, looking good. Um, but with 250 metres to go, his hamstring just went completely. Um, and so you, you see him running in a strong position, and then you just see him seize up, and he's, he's straight away he's in pain. And at the same time, he's absolutely devastated, because for most Olympians, it's a four-year cycle to get to this point of competing. This is the big moment, or it's almost the big moment. This is to get into the final, and his hamstring completely gives way. For him, in a sense, well, in a sense, the race is over. He's not going to get through to the next round. In another sense, that desire to complete the race um, kind of stays there. And if you watch in a little video, his dad comes out from the stadium. This guy starts running over to him. Um, Stewards are about to try and Get him right. No, I'm his dad. I'm his dad. Let me through. And his dad comes through, and his dad helps him in line, lane five to hobble all the way around to the end of the race. And he gets a massive standing ovation, and he's absolutely gutted. Um, and he went on to perform in other sports and look at Wikipedia, I guess. Um, in one sense, the race finished. In, in another sense, the race didn't. The race just changed. He needed someone alongside him to help him get through. And sometimes in life we can think of our walk with God as a race. You know, there'll be other scriptures that encourage us to run the race. But it's not running in such a way as it's just, it's just me in my lane competing with other people. It's more of a sense of we're in this uh, together. And sometimes things can happen in life. We pick up Um, injuries, things might wound us, we get hurt. And if 
those are the things where if we were writing our own story, if we were writing how life was to go, if we were making up our own journey, we would never include them. Derek Redmond would never have decided, I know what, with 250 metres to go, I'm going to decide that my hamstring will give way. He would have never have chosen that. And there are loads of things in life which we would never have chosen. Um, and moments in our walk where we have a bit of a hobble. And it's that point in particular. To, it's good to bear this psalm in mind. And to be bearing that psalm in mind as we encourage others as well. There are things in life that happen that we weren't expecting. Uh, Andrew and Rachel Wilson have written a book, The Life You Never Expected, because as they became parents, um, took an unexpected turn. They have two delightful children they tell us about in their book, um, but they both have kind of severe, well, they're on the autistic spectrum quite severely. So there are aspects of their life now they would never have planned, they would have never have uh, chosen. Sometime the day starts at half past three in the morning, and that's it. And their children don't have um, the language to be able to communicate, so it's frustrating for them. And as parents, they've got many joys, but they're sharing some of the challenges um, as well. Actually, that book begins with a reflection on this psalm. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, borrow uh, their headings um, in terms of looking at this psalm. Uh, unfold through four different stages. How does the psalm uh, begin? The first stage uh, is weeping in verses 1 and 2. Out of, the, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The word suggests uh, the, one's voice is cracking up. Um, and, and giving way. Obviously, this isn't the first time that we've 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 uh, read about tears and crying in the context of this small collection of psalms. But somehow it, it comes into sharper focus here, and it's just good to note these tears uh, or these cries are not being hidden. Uh, it's a slightly trivial memory in many ways, but I can recall as a I guess I must have been about eight years old. And I was at a friend's house. Uh, it may have been a holiday time when my mum was working, and so she'd arranged for us to be at a friend's house. So I was there with my sister and our two uh, friends, and I can't remember what happened, and it wasn't that significant. Nevertheless, I was upset, and I was crying. It could have been that I just perceived that the other three were ganging up on me, or it could have been that I missed my mum, or it could have been something else. Um, but it was of that sort of nature. Um, my friend's mum's first words were, stop crying, as she then comforted me. Now, I can't remember what the issue was at all, and I don't think it was that big a deal. Nevertheless, I can recall as an eight-year-old, almost feeling like I was now in double trouble. The first trouble was the problem. The second problem was I was now being told not to be upset. And what happens then? It's a kind of shame reflex oh, they become two problems. And I wonder sometimes if for us, with more significant issues going on, um, culturally or socially, we can live with the same sort of 
double trouble. There's the problem and there's, I shouldn't be letting on that this is a problem. There's the problem and I, I need to quickly get rid of these tears because that's not right. Or it's, that's, um, that's showing some kind of weakness. Or it's not appropriate in this setting. Or uh, whatever. You come to the Psalms and we see people unashamedly relating with their brothers and sisters if they're singing these songs together and to God say, I'm crying out to you. Uh, you know, we had it in Psalm 126 as well. Though who, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaths uh, with, him, with him. We can be very easily tempted to skip this part of what it means to walk with God when something happens that we wish hadn't. Um, we think, oh, well, other people might feel awkward, or I shouldn't be so upset, or really I should be keeping up appearances right now. It's as though to experience strong negative emotion is itself immature. You just shouldn't do it. Um, and it's obviously misguided and not biblical. I was in, intrigued to find out a couple of, uh, about a prayer meeting a couple of weeks back. We were away for it, but someone shared a, uh, a picture they felt God was uh, revealing to them for our benefit of, of a trumpet, but the trumpet had a mute in it. Um, now, if you play the trumpet, you're well entitled to play it with a mute. It kind of gives an interesting sound that might come in handy for certain songs or certain styles. Nevertheless, the nature of a mute is to muffle the instrument. Is that clear brass, loud sound then gets replaced with something that's a bit muffled um, and is less is less clear. And there's a sense for us that we need to make sure that we're not allowing misguided senses of shame to to muffle our walk with God. And if that means weeping, it means weeping. It's the starting point. That it doesn't start as a careful, measured reflection on the nature of suffering. It starts with an honest, broken voice crying out to God. I sometimes wonder if we worry that expressing emotion honestly could sort of damage our walk with God somehow. And we can forget that Jesus wept when he heard of Lazarus' death. Uh, even though he knew what was about to happen, that he'd raise him to life again, Jesus wept. We can think, was Paul mature? Should Paul have been so honest? In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, when he writes, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Those are strong words. Now he's talking of a, of a season that he's come through, and he's going to share the comfort that he's received out of that time. But he's not muting the reality. The reality was, we were under such pressure beyond our ability to endure, that we despaired even of life. And he's prepared to put that in a letter and send it to a church. And maybe some of us can think, well, I, I can't actually say that I, I despair of life or I despair of this situation. This is where the psalm 
begins. And we mustn't kind of like recoil from our brothers and sisters when that's what they reveal. That's what they, they open up. You shouldn't be saying that. Stop crying. Oh, well, there's now two problems. <laughs> Let's just stick with one. <laughs> this is what's going on. Um, it's important to see, however, also that the psalm doesn't stay there. Um, that's not the only stage. We, we might be tempted to miss it out. Let's not do that. But let's see what these other stages are as well. And in the verses that follow in verse 3 and 4, we see the psalmist worshipping as an example of what's happened so many times in these psalms where they've said, I lift my eyes. Here is the psalmist and the people singing the song are lifting their eyes, they're beholding God. And it's, it's not just focused on verses 3 and 4, actually the whole way through. Almost every line, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, O oh Lord. Actually using different names for the Lord, but it's unmistakable. Here's somebody in the midst of absolute anguish who is turning to God. And is turning to God in worship. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Uh, therefore you are Fear. In other words, whatever the cause of the cry, whatever the reason for the weeping, be that persecution, be it cancer, be it depression, be it betrayal, be it bereavement, those things or that experience in itself is not getting enthroned and spelt out with a capital letter. There is one who is bigger and who goes deeper than the problem. We experience times, not just of feeling, but of reality, where we are utterly helpless. We may feel that we are without hope. But again, looking to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, where I should have kept my thumb neatly in the page. um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul is able to write, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in the despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He's able to write, again, honestly, we are hard-pressed. We are perplexed we are persecuted we are struck down nevertheless paul is aware there there is somebody who goes deeper there is someone who's in whose hands my life is held therefore we're not crushed not in despair not abandoned not destroyed and the psalmist is doing the same here out of the depths crying to God, but then turning in worship to see someone who is bigger and someone who is there even in the depth. Now we might think at this point, but what if the sadness or what if the suffering is my fault? What if I've dug the pit that I've then stumbled in and I'm sat at the bottom of. 
What if I have contributed to the consequences that I'm now experiencing in that situation? How can I turn to God? Well, I can understand for those who are suffering, and it totally took them by surprise, Derek Redman was running a great race. Uh, Andrew and Rachel Wilson were living for God, and then the unexpected happens. I can understand, I can see how someone in that situation can turn to God, but what about me, when I know the reason is my sin? Look at verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins... Oh Lord, who could stand? We don't know who wrote this psalm, but like David who wrote so many, he's, he acknowledges his sin before God. Doesn't stop him coming to the Lord. Doesn't stop him from weeping. Doesn't stop him from worshipping. Doesn't stop him from drawing near to him. And that's how the Christian walk begins, with a, with a recognition, I'm utterly helpless before God. I have no way through. I'm, I can see now that I'm at rock bottom. I can see now that I need help. I can't crawl out of this myself. No amount of self-help is going to solve this problem. And it's in the nature of the word. Um, sin or iniquity, if you're reading in an ESV, is kind of almost recognizing, you know, it's, it's in me. It's not just something that I've done. It's, it's in me. I'm, I'm like a piece of wood that's got warped and twisted. It's just there. And, um, and then we recognize, therefore, I, I need someone else to do something. I need someone to step in. I need someone to save. I need someone to rescue. And that's what's happening. Or, or, or rather, that's what the psalmist is focusing on as he's as he's considering God, he's crying out to the Lord, he's then thinking, what's the Lord like? If the Lord kept a record of sins, could anybody stand before him? No. If the Lord kept a record of our iniquity, we'd have no standing before him. What would be the point of perfect peace in the circumstances of our life? If we didn't have a standing before God. The fact that there is, with the Lord, forgiveness, means that a right standing with God is available if we receive that forgiveness and no suffering or sadness can undermine that standing. So he's focused on on good news, a foundation that goes deeper than his weeping, a a foundation, a, a, a security that is more solid. Looks at the Lord's grace and describes these... Uh, God's grace is always described with, as, as three companions to the Lord. In verse 4, with you there is forgiveness. Later on in verse 7, with the Lord is unfailing love, steadfast love, love that doesn't get shaken. And with him is full redemption, a rescue that kind of overflows, it's plentiful, it's full, it's available, all because of what God is like. And this then provides solid ground and security and also hope, as we'll see in a moment, for those walking with God 
in the midst of pain when life sucks? Where do we find strength? Where do we find security? In worshipping a God who is bigger than the problem, who is bigger than the pain, and who is available in every season. Andrew and Rachel Wilson write, Some days we just look at our lives and think, This is awful. And sometimes it is. Yet when I begin to worship God for the gospel, things start looking very different. Through the exhausted frustration, I remind myself, God has not marked my iniquities. He has forgiven me for every sordid, spiteful and shameful thing I've ever done. He has treated me according to his mercy rather than my performance. So, we have the people of God weeping, worshipping. What else is happening in this psalm? Moving on. They're also waiting in verse 5 and 6. But we've, we've seen it already, in, you might recall, in Psalm uh, 123, reading a psalm there, which in a sense was all about waiting on, on the Lord. I lift my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of their mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord till he shows us his mercy. We saw there... Um, People of God learning to wait on the Lord. And that's also what's happening in this psalm in 130. We've also seen in Psalm 126 the importance of of waiting for harvest. Psalm 126 showed us a God who's able to deliver and restore suddenly in a moment. And wow, we're like in dreamland. It's amazing. Look at what God has done. Um, We also see... A Lord who, who is bringing about a harvest. So there's patient, faithful sowing with tears in faith that a harvest will one day become evident. Waiting, patience. Another theme that runs through these psalms and we see here in particular in verses uh, 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I put my hope. This is not the sort of waiting for, for a train. Will it arrive? Will it get cancelled? Or waiting for a parcel to be delivered. Would you like it to arrive before nine and one? Or between one and nine? And it comes tomorrow. Ah! We make our plans and we wait kind of hoping... Is it waiting in that sense? No. It's waiting in the same way, or even more than, watchmen. Now, perhaps we don't have very many watchmen nowadays waiting through the night to guard a city. Um, but museums and buildings and offices will have the night porters and uh, uh, And they're there through the night, in the darkness, in a sense, waiting for the morning. What's their job? I'm sure there are some tasks to be done. But the main thing is, we just want you to be there. And we'll pay you to be there. And to make sure everything's okay. And the morning will come, and people will arrive. The light will dawn. Um... 
And a watchman is an important person who doesn't do very much. Unless, of course, you're Ben Stiller in the film Night at the Museum, in which case quite a lot happens, as we discovered over our holiday uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, But other than that, there's not a huge amount happening. What is happening? Well, the earth is slowly turning. Well, from our perspective, I suppose, quite slowly. Um, And the sun is burning. And we are waiting And when the world has turned around on its axis through the night, from our perspective, oh look, the sun is rising, the the day is dawning, the light has come. And you can imagine no, no watchman is thinking nervously, will the sun rise? No one's thinking, Has the sun disappeared? Will it be there? Or will it have gone? Will this night ever go? Now perhaps at the the point at which the night is at its darkest, we might think, goodness, what what does the light look like again? (laughs) It's been a while since I've felt that warmth. Nevertheless, there's a type of waiting which is sure and certain more than the watchman trust that the sun is still there and they'll see it again in a few hours time more than that we wait for the lord knowing that he is still there knowing that he is at work in ways that are more powerful than we can possibly imagine our job is to wait we might have a few tasks that we're giving ourselves to in the meantime but ultimately we're not doing that much We're not constructing something. We're not creating something. We're not making the earth turn around. We're trusting in the one who's doing that and sustaining that. And that the light will come. Watching and waiting is based on the conviction that God is actively involved in his creation. Vigorously at work in redemption. Eugene Peterson writes... Hoping does not mean doing nothing, it means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It's a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. And therefore, hoping in God's Word. What has God said he will do? And we believe that he will do it. Sometimes when uh, church generally experiences sufferings and pain and persecution, what it does amongst people is, uh, or, or amongst us, is freshen and sharpen and draw from us that cry of Jesus, come again. That ultimately our hope is in a Redeemer who will return. It doesn't mean oh, there's no hope for, for breakthrough in this life. There's no hope for things to change in this life. It just means no. ultimately what are we waiting for? We're waiting for him. We're waiting for him. We're, we're aware of just how deep and dark the world can be. But actually there's a limit to that. 
and that the, and God's light will come. God's light will uh, will shine. The day will come. So we're a people who learn about waiting. That doesn't mean frantic activity. It doesn't mean that we're trying to be the solution to our own problem. It means, in a sense, learning to live with pain, not expecting it all to vanish in just the the twinkling of an eye, Um, but in faith and expectation of a God who knows what he's doing and a God who is with us and for us and who will draw things to the conclusion he wants to bring. Fourthly, and perhaps briefly, uh, we also see in verses 7 8, the people of God singing this song are also witnessing. Maybe this is the one that we want to cut to really soon. If I'm suffering, it must be for the purpose of me sharing and supporting other people. Well, it is here. This is a prayer to God all the way through. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. And then in that kind of final section, oh Israel, starting to speak to one another, starting to speak to the people, trying to speak, speak to friends and speak to neighbours and speak to a nation and say, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And somehow, I suppose we'd be aware different times, maybe from a microphone at the front of a meeting or just personally in conversation with someone, almost the, the, the strength of courage that we receive from somebody testifying to the goodness of God in the midst of their own suffering. We know what they've been through. We know what they're still going through. And therefore, almost, it comes with greater weight and greater impact when they say, put your hope in the Lord. With the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. There's this testimony that comes out. There's this witness. God is good. So we've seen those four stages, those four uh, W's. And let's just be aware as we kind of draw to a conclusion and we'll worship in just a moment, not to settle for a muted trumpet Weep, but don't make it really obvious, because people will find it awkward. Worship, but with the mute in, it's, I guess God's there. Um, we want to kind of be a people who, in honesty, are taking that mute. Whether that mute represents shame, just don't let on that it's that difficult at the moment. Uh, or some other issue. I want to take that out. I want to be a people who aren't kind of looking to take too many shortcuts through this. When it's time to weep, it's time to weep. Let's be a people who are always seeking the Lord, though, in the midst of it. That the, the problem or the pain or the hurt isn't taking the place of God and getting enthroned. And we're just singing and sharing about the problem. We're, we're not ignoring it. We're sharing honestly about it. And yet our, our reflex, and this is what we can encourage one another to do, is, Oh, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, when it's painful, I'm coming to you. Lord, when I have no answers, I'm coming to you. Lord, when I'm at rock bottom because of this uh, illness or because of this difficulty or because of my sin, 
I'm coming to you. And I'm believing that your help and your power and your love and your forgiveness reaches to me and surrounds me right here. And then we're, we're waiting and a time comes to, to, uh, to witness. Maybe also we just need to, be, to bear in mind that we might need to revisit some of these stages at different times. There may be things where you thought, well, I've, I've witnessed about this. I've told people how good God is. I've told people how he's helped us through. I've told people about that previous episode in life which was so painful. So now, if I've witnessed to it, if I've gave, given God the glory, if I've told everybody with the microphone, surely I should be through it by now. Surely it should present no further challenge to me. Oh no, I've... The mute goes back in the trumpet. God's good. No. It's okay to go back. It's okay to acknowledge, actually, here and now, it's hit me like a ton of bricks again. But God is still good. And we don't want to recoil from one another. Think, oh, what, are you still finding that difficult? Well, that happened years ago. What do you mean? I don't know how to relate to you. Yes, we know how to relate to each other when it feels like we're going around a bit of a cycle. Let's go on this journey in faith together. Seeking to worship him, seeking to encourage one another, seeking to be honest, and seeking, well, just believing, yes, ultimately, the light will dawn. God comes and makes sense of all of this. Amen. How about we, we worship to uh, conclude before we grab a, uh, a drink in a few minutes. We've got the opportunity just to round off our time together and even apply what we've been looking at by turning to God in worship. So let's, uh, let's stand together.